Well, we are on the last part. We are on part six of our love invasion series. And this last one, I, I saved the biggest piece of tension for the very end. That as we think about this concept of invading with love, and I, we talked about from the very beginning that we juxtapose these contradictory ideas, this concept of love which fills all ooey and gooey and sweet and wonderful, and then this concept of invasion which feels aggressive and, and, and comes in and goes where maybe it wasn't initially wanted, wasn't necessarily invited there. That the love that God has called us to give a lot of times isn't wanted. It's not embraced. They don't say, I didn't invite you to come love me in this capacity. Don't get involved in my world. And so there is this tension between the two. And today we're going to talk about that tension. Because the beauty of God's love is that he has chosen to pour out his love and forgiveness and his acceptance on those who were his enemies. Jesus invaded enemy territory. That is what is so mind-blowing. We didn't give a rip. We didn't care. We were out deciding, hey, there must be a God out there. We see this world. We see some stuff. There's something on the inside of us. If we quiet our souls for just a second, that there's this little thing that says, ooh, there must be a God out there. So then we said, we're going to create one. And so we... We stand this little speaker up or something and we, and, and we worship it or we decide to worship ourselves or we, or we carve something with our hands and des- decide to worship it. And, and all sorts of different things go around. We are rejecting the God who designed us all along. And in the middle of that, whoosh, he inserted himself. He brought love, not judgment, not hate, not vindictiveness. He brought love. And so with that, with that, that when we begin to understand that, then like anybody who's handling an invasion of any kind, that you begin to do this. Our military guys, when they begin to think on this and, and strategize, there's always the question, what's the risk? And I think when, when that's been gnawing at us for five weeks, is Brandon, in there significant risk? What if I get rejected? What if somebody doesn't want it? What if I get my feelings hurt? What if I put everything on the line and I don't see the results in my heart I really wanted to see? How do we do that? How do we deal with and, and boldly embrace the love invasion when in the back of our minds there's this nagging thought? Of, Isn't it pretty risky? Emotional pain hurts so much. Isn't this pretty risky? See, Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrated his own love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then we've been looking at this passage over and over again. 2 Corinthians 5.17, one of our favorite passages. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new is coming. All of this is from God. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
Man, it's pretty awesome that God was so cool that, that he inserted himself into that. And so and now he recruits us and he goes, all right, I've, I've come into your world. I invaded over here. Now I want you to go with me to the next one. And you're like, oh, God, I'm so glad you came to me. But those people look kind of mean. Those people aren't very nice. I had some brush-ups against some people one time and they, they, were, they, they treated me rough. I've decided to kind of close myself off and, and I'm only going to love some people that look like they're going to love me, love me back. And that's not what we've been invited to do. And it's a scary place. I honestly remember the first time that I really put my, my love and my attention on the line. I was in the first grade. And there was... A young lady, there was a, a hint of what was in my future, because I remember she was blonde. Wasn't the right young lady, which is why it was an epic fail. And I don't remember this, this, uh, this little girl's name, I think, because it's blocked by emotional scar tissue. And so it just covers whatever her name had been. And I decided I was going to, to show her that I liked her, and I was going to just put it all out there on the line and, and want her to be my, my girlfriend in the first grade. And, and uh, so I found a, a piece of my grandmother's costume jewelry, okay? And it wasn't even a watch or anything cool. It was like a brooch. I mean, it wasn't a necklace or a ring. It was this brooch. I mean, it's a grandma jewelry. I found my grandma's stuff. And it was kind of bent up and beat up, and so my grandmother let me have it. She didn't know why I, I wanted it. And so, but then I wanted to wrap it up. And the only thing I found at the house to wrap with was this uh, mustard yellow and brown plaid contact paper. And so that's all I found. So I take it and I wrap it, which I then I turned it into like this incredible challenge to get this thing unwrapped. And I wrap it in this contact paper and it looks terrible. And I stick it in my pocket and I take it to school. And I go up to the young lady and I sheepishly sit there and let her know, I like you. And put it on the desk and walk away. And so and I'm ready for, for you know, some sort of return uh, of affections, uh, a punch in the arm, a note, a something. And um, I found out uh, to my, to much to my pain, about an hour later, uh, one of her friends came and let me know that she was not interested in uh, all this. <laughs> On a first grade, she didn't have any wisdom. <laughs> and she went to the bathroom and flushed my gift. That was the deal. It wasn't just returned to me. Here, give this to someone else. There's somebody out there. It's not you, it's me. She didn't give me any good life. She flushed it. I didn't even have an opportunity to go down to number two on the list. There's always a backup plan. I was stuck. And I tell you what, that's, that's painful as a first grader to have your, your gift flushed. And you put it all out on the line and then it just... Does it work? I mean, I, it was just a couple of years later, and I, and I think they, auto, they biographically wrote the song Love is a Battlefield for my first grade experience. <laughs> it showed up just a couple of years later. And, uh, and so, but like anything, when we look at the risk, folks, there's risk. And as pastor, I would love to tell you, you know what, just put it all out on the line, just love. You know what, and you're never going to get hurt. 
and it's never going to come back against you and nobody's ever going to take advantage of it and nobody's ever going to, to do it. And I, I, would love, I would love to tell you that. I would love to tell you that, but it's just not the case. It's just not the case. When we begin to step in like any other invasion, we have to go in with our eyes wide open knowing that ultimately as we begin to show love towards others, we're showing love to our Father God and that will never be rejected. And that, that He has simply asked us to love without any expectation on how that individual is going to embrace it. But He doesn't leave us just there because like anytime you really look at risk, there's another piece of the teeter-totter that we have to look at. And what's on the other end is this thing called reward. And the bulk of the time today, what we want to do that mitigates and honestly, in my opinion, cancels the risk is the reward that we see of boldly and courageously putting our love on the line and walking in obedience on this front because there is a reward. There is a reward to love. So right now we're looking at love with benefits. There are benefits to this love. And love answers the question. Love answers this question. The big gnawing question that everybody wants to know. There are books written about it. Why am I here? What is my purpose? What is my identity? Folks, love answers the question of identity. It answers it. You cannot be who you were truly called to be until you barely begin to step out in love. You will live a shadow of the person God designed and made you to be if you shirk back from loving. Any place you shirk back from loving, you are accepting a lesser version of the you God created. Anytime. Anytime. You're accepting a lesser version because you were created for love. We are hardwired for this. John 13, 35 says, By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. That's how it's done. He could have figured out any other way. We could have said, oh, you know, we could all get some good Christian tats. Everybody will know you're my disciples by that. We could all get some good Christian t-shirts. Everybody will know you're my disciples by that. We could all have the exact same kind of church building. Everybody's going to know you're my disciple by that. There's so many other things he could have come up with, but he said, no. People are going to recognize your identity based on your love for others. That's how they're going to know. Over and over again, the scriptures remind us that God is love. So if we're going to reflect him, we're going to hold up a mirror to God. Then of all the different things we could say get reflected back of his holiness and his purity and all of these different things. Ultimately, we could pull it down to one word is love. And if we're going to be a mirror image in this world of God, then love is going to be at the forefront of this. See, 1 John 4, 8 says, Whoever does not love doesn't know God because God is love. That's simply the way it is. If we don't embrace that, if we're not loving, we haven't really known God. We haven't really embraced that. See, Matthew 22 shows us this. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. says, Teacher, 
which is the greatest commandment in the law. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two things. Everything that it would ever be required of us, everything that would ever be required, everything that reflects the way we were originally wired to operate. If sin had never had dominion over us, we would have still be living out loving God and loving others. That reflects all the way back to our original design. Anything God's ever required of us, anything that's ever been looked at, what He is doing in us now all get reflected in loving God and loving others. And we understand this little bit of identity when we have these, these, this, this little seemingly cheesy line now that has so much intuitive impact we we blow it off because of its cheesiness when the when in the movie the 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 man and the woman meet and then he brings this line out to just really woo her and he says you complete me why does that even remotely ring true because we understand it we understand it. There was something that awakened, and I feel more Brandon Clark than ever when I am loving this woman right here. I was less of who I was supposed to be. She completed me because that I was designed to love her. That is what I've completed. I feel f- fulfilled in that. Not that I was meant, not that I was a half of a something. And then all of a sudden she comes along and she fills all my gaps. I don't like doing laundry. You can do laundry. You complete me. I don't like doing the dishes. You can do the dishes. You complete me. No. No. It wasn't that there was any of that. It was that there was something that when all of a sudden when she came into my life, that there was this place of love that began pouring out, and I felt more Brandon Clark than I had ever known. I didn't realize that there was that part missing. That's one of the things that is so wonderful when we really embrace the love of God and we begin to love Him back, and we begin to feel more of who we were to be all along than we've ever been. You want to talk to anybody who on a regular basis says that their work is fulfilling. Anybody that for a long period of time says their occupation is fulfilling and you're always, always, always going to find a place of an outpouring of love on some level. It's not that they receive love. It's not that their paycheck is ginormous. It's not any of those different things. And you want to find somebody miserable in their work and it is an absolutely loveless endeavor. And you can't compensate somebody enough You can't make the checks big enough for a loveless endeavor. You can't do it. Folks, our identity is wired in this. And we begin to love That's part of the reward as we become who we were meant to be. That is part of it. We also have to understand understand that love is the ground where good grows. If you want to be around the good stuff of life, all of that God has to offer, you've got to, you've got to be a part of a love environment. And guess what? As Yogi Berra said, wherever you go, there you are. 
So, if you want to live in a love environment, guess who has to be loving? You do. You do. And that's where the good grows. We see this in Romans 8, 28, and we can kind of skip over it all the time. But, and we've heard this scripture if we've been in, in church for any length of time. And we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That loving God and making things, your life an outpouring of love to God. That the enemy or the world can't throw enough junk into that to turn it into something other than good. God will take things and rework things and bring things back that other people meant for good, that the, I mean, meant for bad, that the enemy meant for bad, and will turn them into good. Because we're in the fertile field of love. That is where it grows. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Well, what if everybody else, what if everything else is shifting? What if everything else is going crazy? We just keep connecting with love. We keep pouring it out to God. We keep loving others like he has asked us to do. And I'm telling you, he brings it back full circle. He always, always does. That's where the good stuff grows. And our love for God is very, very much connected. It's very much connected with our embrace of our forgiveness. We never get away from that communion moment that we talked about. Our love grows from that place. Let's look at Luke 7. Verse 41, it says, Two men owed a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, and the other owed him 50. Neither one of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Jesus says, you have judged rightly. You have judged rightly. We want to continue to operate in a place of love. We can never forget how much has been poured out on us. We can never forget the forgiveness. We can never forget that the act of, of, <clears throat> of love that God poured out. Because it's not about earning good. It's about being where the good is poured out. That place of recognizing that he is the author of it all. We position ourselves at that place of love. Anytime we get outside and we begin to get into works, we're getting away from that forgiveness, love flow, grace model. What, that place of grace, that place of love. And we decide, well, thanks God, I appreciate that, and now I'm going to work and I'm going to do all of this stuff for you. And then we find it dry and unfulfilling. If you're here at church this morning just out of simply simple religious obligation, I dare you to throw that away. As, your, as pastor, I give you permission to throw religious obligation out the window. Throw it out the window. And I want you to simply embrace the love of God. Remember what he did for you. Remember that and let that be your God. Let that do it. I'm convinced that will do more. It will create more. It will stir us up to, to impact more than anything else. 
That's where it is as we embrace His love. And see, and God is, He's so cool about this, He knows that even that is going to get abused and gives us the model of how we just keep rolling anyways because we look towards the end. We look towards the end result. <clears throat> Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 13, and I want to read it. It takes a few minutes, but I want us to, it's just so, it speaks to this, so huge. It says, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. And anytime we talk about the kingdom of heaven, it's not necessarily saying when you get to heaven, this is a picture of what it's going to be like. No, because you'll understand that as we get into this. The kingdom of heaven is the way God operates. Okay? That just like the, anybody else's kingdom, the kingdom of Great Britain is the way the Britons operate. Anything else's kingdom is the way the king, it's the king's dominion. Okay? This is the way God operates. Okay? The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. He toiled it, he prepared it, he plowed it all up, he put all the good stuff in there, and then he snoozed in, and then somebody just comes in in the act of one night. Totally takes advantage of all his hard work, totally takes advantage of all his prep, totally takes advantage of everything he's wanted to work, and just throws weeds all over that. Dumps weeds in there. And so he throws them on there and goes. It says, and when the wheat sprouted and formed its heads, oh my goodness, the weeds, they appeared too. And the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, don't you want to sow good, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? Let's just get them out of there. We, we're not in the weed farming business. Come on, let's go. Let's get them out of there. We'll go yank the weeds for you. Just give us the words. We'll just start yanking stuff up. And look at this wisdom. Look at how much he wanted a full return of the good that was planted. How much he wanted a full return of the good that was planted. No, don't pull up the weeds. He answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds... You may root up the wheat with them for the sake of the good. We'll let that other stuff play its course. No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be destroyed, to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring that into my barn. Here it was, God's put it all out. He's put all this good out. And there's people and enemy that's taking advantage of it. Totally taking advantage of it. And God didn't say, forget that, I'm closing down my farm. I'm tired of that. Every time I go to do something good, something bad comes along and is growing right there next to it. And I'm sick of that, so I'm just going to quit doing good. He says, No. The good's still in there, and we're going to tend the good and cultivate the good, and the good is going to produce what the good should have all along. And guess what? We'll deal with the weeds when it's time to deal with the weeds. But we're going to take care of, and we're going to cultivate, and we're going to take care of the good. Folks, that's the way we have to do it in our relationships. That's the way we have to do it in everything. 
in everything. See, people may take advantage of our love and put weeds. And I love the fact that old King James calls it tares. Man, that gets a different image in our mind when we talk about somebody tearing. Put tears in there. Most of our hearts have some wounds on them, some tears. We opened up, tears. Does that mean we close it off? No, no, no. We have to stay focused on the harvest. We have to stay recognize that the good produces. Our band's coming up right now because we've got a video and a song that, that, our, <clears throat> that Nat wrote that I think visually lets us see this. That love makes an eternal difference. Love lasts. It lasts. See, Hebrews 6.10 says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you helped his people and continue to help him. There was a man named Cornelius who was completely outside of the children of Israel, didn't know diddly squat about the, the covenant, but saw that there was something there with the worship of the Jews, that there was this, this true God that was there. And he generously gave to the poor, and he even generously gave to, to help take care of the, the local temple. And somehow, I don't fully understand it, but let's look at this scripture right quick, and I want us to understand this and be mulling on this as they sing and as we watch this. So here's this angel the Lord comes to him, and, and Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked, and the angel answered, Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man called Simon, <clears throat> a man named Simon who is called Peter. And he brings him in. And him and his whole household hear the good news of what Jesus had done. And these are the first people that aren't Jews that embrace Jesus as Messiah, as Christ. It's right here in this story, right there. This happened. Somehow his generosity, somehow his labor of love, him pouring it out, got God's attention. It wasn't forgotten. It had this impact. It penetrated a whole nother realm. The things that we do out of love, they last. That makes a difference. Your loving Fills up this place with mercy and grace. Brings us closer to your heart. Your love divine. Darkness from light. The truth from the light. Brings and minds us who we are. In the darkest night you shine like the brightest sun. Give you light to everyone. 
God, we're ready for a love invasion. Oh, Lord, we're ready for your restoration. Oh, we need your touch upon this world you made. Oh, God, let your love invade. Your love conquers all. Erases the fall, leaves no trace at all of the wretch I used to be. In the darkest night, you shine like the brightest sun. You give your light to everyone. Oh yeah, God, we're ready for a love invasion. Oh, Lord, we're desperate for your restoration. All we need you touch upon this world you made. Oh, God, let your love invade. Let us be your hands and feet as we run to the least of these. In a world that's full of hate. Oh, God, let your love invade. Oh, we're ready for a love invasion. Oh, Lord, we're desperate for your restoration. Oh, we need your touch upon this world you made. Oh, Lord, let your love invade. Oh, we're for your love invasion, Lord. Oh, we're desperate for your restoration. Oh, we need your touch upon this world you made. Oh, God, let your love invade. God, let you love in me. Sixteen is the love invasion scripture of all scriptures. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not, not perish but have eternal life. God our Father dared to risk, risk loving. Is everybody going to embrace it? Is everybody going to say yes? Sadly, no. But His love would not return void. It would have lasting, eternal consequences. All of those who would dare to admit that we need a Savior and Jesus is Him. Folks, our lives are to be a reflection of that kind of love. I want us today to embrace the challenge. I want us to challenge to start right where we are and in our families. Let's love more courageously. If you're married today, I challenge you to love your spouse on a higher level than ever before. Not based on how they respond to it or don't respond to it, but love for love's sake. 
I challenge you, us that have children in our homes, for us to love, for us to be patient and to be kind like never before. I challenge us to then take that out to our friendships. Let's do some forgiveness today. Let's deal with it now. Let's deal with it. Let's do some forgiving right now. That'll keep us, it'll close us up, it'll make us play defense instead of offense. Let's invade with God's love. Let's do it at our jobs. God, let us figure out how to serve, how to, how to clean tables and carry out trash and crunch numbers and, and do everything that we have to do. And Lord, let's do it out of place of love. Let's figure this out, God. We want our lives to matter. We understand that we're hardwired for good. And that love is where good grows. Let's do this. Let's not just talk about it. Let's just sing awesome songs about it. Let's be it. The risk dissipates in a lot of the reward. <laughs> it's just worth it. It's worth the bumps. It's worth the bruises. It's worth it. And then we want to create a quiet moment here. That for some reason you're on the outside looking in on this thing. You're saying, Brandon, I, I just kind of came as a spectator. I just kind of came here. And, and now I, I, I want this Jesus. I recognize that this whole Christianity, religion thing isn't what I thought it was. And, and I want this forgiveness in Christ. I want this relationship thing. I don't want the rules. I don't want a bunch of that. I want relationship. And I want to live out of love. Because see, real love, it isn't going to violate any of that other stuff. It's not going to. If that's you and you want to embrace Jesus, you want to say yes to that love, I want you to just raise your hand and we want to pray with you. 